I too would like to welcome everyone out to the services this morning, especially like to welcome any visitors we may have. We appreciate you being here with us today. I read a, uh, a survey last week where they were discussing taboo topics. And y'all know what I'm talking about. Those topics we don't talk about in front of mixed company. The topics we don't talk about at the Christmas dinner with family members that we see once a year. Those topics that we don't talk about to people we don't know very well. For generations, these topics have simply been religion, politics, and money. We've heard that our whole lives. Over the last few years, that's expanded to, to sex, gender, LGBTQ, police brutality, Black Lives Matter, and a long list of other things because of the fear of offending someone. And that's really what it boils down to, isn't it? A topic makes the taboo list for fear of offending someone. Well, this survey showed all these things have now been removed from the taboo list, and people are freely discussing these things everywhere. People are more freely discussing uh, and how proud they are of their political opinions, their opinions on sex and gender and all these things. But what this article pointed out is there is still one thing people still and will forever keep on the taboo list. You guess what that is? Money. Money and finances. It stated this, recent surveys from financial and market research firms have found that in 34% of cohabitating couples, married or not, one or both partners couldn't correctly identify how much money the other makes. That only 17% of parents with an income over $100,000 a year had told or even planned to tell their adult children how much they earn or their net worth. And that people are more comfortable talking with friends about marital discord, mental health, addiction, race, sex, and politics than they are talking about money. This morning, we're going to talk about this taboo topic of money. Specifically, we're going to talk about the Christian and their finances, specifically how it relates to their giving. Uh-oh, preacher said it. We uh, often don't like to hear that. There are multiple thoughts that come into your head when a preacher gets up and he, here and he starts talking about giving or contribution or putting in the plate, however you want to word it this morning. Some of you right now are squirming. Let's just be honest. Right now, you're just hoping I will change the topic. Unfortunately, my notes are my notes. I don't wing it like that. Some of you, I pray, and matter of fact, I know, some of you welcome this talk because you are confident in your giving. Where are you this morning? First of all, this topic is, is taboo, but is it taboo from the pulpit? Now, Sean, wait a second. <laughs> when we talk about giving, Clyde Woody's the only one that can do that, and we do that once every 10 years. And we only do it when the contribution gets low. If you remember, and I believe it was the last time Tim spoke on a Sunday morning, he mentioned giving and said that this talk was coming. That's because the elders have been discussing this, and we chose this time because right now our contribution is probably at its highest at $5,100 to $5,200 a week, on average. That's good, ain't it? Better than last year. So, brothers and sisters, I want you to know this is not about your money. This is about your heart. And more importantly, it's about your soul. 
well, son, hang on a minute. What I give is between me and God. Brethren, that's not entirely true. 1 Peter 5 and 2, feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. Hebrews 13 and 17 states, Obey them that have the rule over you, and to submit yourself for the watch for their souls, as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. The elders will give account for each and every one of us. Did you know that? Let me tell you, brother, that is a very heavy responsibility. And it's not one that we take lightly. It is a responsibility that we pray about daily. It's a responsibility that, quite frankly, we shed tears over. If we have any visitors here this morning, I again thank you for being here. And if you're thinking, man, this lesson, it, it's not going to apply to me. I'm not a member here. You would be wrong. This lesson applies to all of God's people. We have monthly business meetings where we discuss finances. We have financial statements that come out quarterly to share with the men in those meetings. And I believe I've reached out to all the, the ladies or, or, or widows. If you ever want to know anything about our financial statement, get with, with me and Tim. We'll discuss that. Our finances here are an open book. But specifically to any visitor that may be here this morning as we talk about money and giving, there is not a single person on salary at this church. We do not have paid preachers or paid staff. The lesson this morning is not about a dollar amount. It's about your heart and what amount of that are you giving over to God. What is he receiving? We'll discuss more on that later. Short of talking on the kingdom of God, did you know Jesus talked more about money than any other topic? Why is that? I think it's simple and it always comes back to the same verse in 1 Timothy 6 and 10 through 11. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. <clears throat> and we normally stop there and fail to read the solution to this sin. And yes, the love of money is sin. Verse 11, but thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Brother, I want you to know, you can like money. You can have money. You can be a millionaire and still be a godly Christian. There is nothing wrong with making money as long as you don't love it. In other words, as long as it is not your primary focus. By the way, for those men seeking the office of elder, our young men here today, Timothy and Titus, when we see the characteristics or qualifications of an elder, you will see not given to filthy lucre, not being covetous. This would include you not loving money and you're generous and hospitable. This is a qualification of an elder, but this is also characteristics we all should obtain. Back to our text, what is our primary focus? Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. I think the impression we give sometimes is if you have money, that's bad. Brother, that's not true. Unless you think that money is yours. Unless you think you made that money based off your abilities and talents alone. Psalms 24 and 1, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and I that dwelt therein. Psalms 50, verse 10, 
For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. I know all the fowls of the mountain and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell thee, for the world is mine and the fullness thereof. Haggai 2 and 8. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. What did he just say? Silver and gold. So whose money is really in your bank account? 1 Chronicles 29 and 11. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come of thee. And thou reignest over all, and in thine hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Now therefore, our God, we thank thee and praise thy glorious name. Is that the way you view your finances? Whether you have $1,000 or $100,000, who really has that money? That's God's money. That house that you bought belongs to God. He allows you to manage it, to be steward over it. 1 Timothy 6 and 17, Charge them that are rich in the world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. Brethren, we're to be good stewards. Good stewards are the things God has given us to oversee. Notice what I said. Matter of fact, Mark Woody was here not too long ago giving us a seminar on finances. And I've used this every time I'm over, over here at the Lord's Supper. I simply say, return a portion of the things he made us stewards over. Returning what is already his and belongs to him. You see, it's the mindset that we have to get into. And this mindset is not just about giving it's about your finances in general. It's about being content. It's about your heart, brother. Where is your heart this morning? Would you say you're right with God when it comes to your finances? In every aspect, including giving. Sean, why are we talking about this? Brother, if you're not taking a godly approach to your finances, you're living in sin. If making that next dollar is more important to you than worshiping your God, that dollar is your God. And what gets me, you deny your real God and chase a dollar that will never belong to you. He is simply allowing you to handle it for him. So the question this morning is, how are you handling it? Would he approve of your money management style? I believe it was Brother Stark. You'd have to ask Tim or Dale to verify that. But anyways, we had a brother that used to say, you show me a man's checkbook, and I'll show you where his heart is. Brother, what's your checkbook say? Well, Sean, that's, that's private. You think God don't know what your ledger is? I'll tell you what statistics say. Uh, before we get into this, uh, some r real quick definition. When I say the word median, that means if you list all these incomes you find the one in the exact middle. There are just as many above and below. This is not an average, which is influenced by higher and lower uh, incomes. This is the median. In Dallas County, one person makes approximately $55,000. Two people, $74,000. Three people, $80,000. Four people, $93,000 a year. Every person over four, you add $9,000. 
and here where it goes. 29% of our money goes towards housing. 14% of our money goes to transportation. 10% of our money goes to personal insurance and pensions. 7% of our money goes to health care. 7% of our money goes to groceries. 5% of our money goes to entertainment. 4% of our money goes to restaurants and other meals away from home. 3% of our money goes to charitable contribu contributions, which includes uh, Sunday morning offerings. 2% on apparel and services, 2% on education, and then it drops into the 1%s. What does your checkbook say? Where would you prioritize, because isn't that what we're really talking about? Where would you prioritize your giving in your budget? The money that God blessed you with to oversee that belongs to him, where does it fall in your personal finances? Let me ask you something. Do you, do you think God needs your money? Or do you think he is teaching us to sacrifice for him? There are multiple benefits to giving that we'll discuss. I just want you to be honest with yourself and figure out, where are you? As you look at your finances, are you closer to the 29% or are you closer to the 1%? Some of you, including me in times past, would look at the contribution each week, divide that by the number of people in the average, I know y'all do it, and you say, okay, well, this is the average per person. There's four people in my family, so I'm going to multiply it by four and do that. Average contribution, 5,200, 135 people here. It's $38.52 a person. X amount. Here we go. And I put that in another term for you. What is the minimum amount I should give like everybody else? That's what you're doing. What's the minimum amount? Where's your heart, brother? Here's the reality of our giving in this congregation. <clears throat> There are approximately 65 giving units in this congregation. A giving unit is defined as a household, if you will. So in other words, me and Lori are a giving unit. Jeff and Angela are a giving unit. Valerie is a giving unit. Uh, they're not here today, but Greg and Kim would be a giving unit. But Kaylee would be a separate giving unit within that home. Does that make sense? There are approximately 65 giving units in the church, 52 regularly attending. And I want you to understand, before I proceed... No one knows these people or their contribution amounts other than them and the elders. Well, God, of course. But of the 65 units, seven of them contribute 43% of the contribution. Seven giving units contribute 43%. That means the remaining 58 give the remaining 57%, which if you use the median salaries, that works out to right over to percent of their income. Actually, a little less than the national average. Quite frankly, that means some of us are failing and not giving appropriately. Almost 100 years ago, this country, about 96 years ago, I guess, along with the rest of the world, suffered the Great Depression. I remember hearing stories from older members of my family and, and older members here. Just unbelievable what many of our ancestors went through. They did not have food to put on the table. Their children were starving. You hear stories about their kids eating cardboard. You know, an interesting note, back then their giving was 3.5% during the Great Depression. Where do you fall? And does it really matter? Turn to Malachi uh, chapter 3 and verse 8. Will a man rob God? 
yet ye have robbed me. But you say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now, herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and power you out of blessing, then there shall not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground. Neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. And all nations shall call you blessed, for ye shall be delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. Did you catch what that says? Brethren, everything belongs to him. Are you robbing your God with your lack of faithfulness to him? With your lack of obedience? That's what it is when we fail to give appropriately. Sean, man, you're carrying this too far. Maybe so. But there is something at great risk here. You and your salvation. Brethren, I make enough mistakes on a daily basis. I sin and I am ashamed of but there are a few things that God has given us that I can get right every single week. I can be here worshiping my God. I can assemble with the saints. I can partake of the Lord's Supper, and I can give appropriately. I know I cannot earn my way into heaven. I am not saying that. I know that only the blood of Jesus Christ, my God's love, his grace, and his mercy is the only thing that will get a disgusting sinner like me into heaven. So I absolutely understand I cannot buy my way into heaven with my offerings. But folks, I sure do not want to stand before my God and be accused of being a thief. How terrible would it be to stand before God and he has to say, depart from me over greed and money. Because you chose to place something, material things, money, whatever, in front of me. Can you imagine that? Well, Sean, I mean, what are you suggesting? You know your heart, and you know your finances. I'm simply stating, so does your God. Back to the stats for a moment. I want you to understand your God expects you to support your family. You are commanded to work to support yourself and your family. You are worse than an infidel if you do not. That includes your house and your mortgage. For most people, the giving units, that is the highest percentage. My question is this, is it too much? Did unwise and maybe unchristian decisions put you in a situation where you are keeping up with the Joneses and bought a house you cannot afford and therefore you are not giving appropriate? What about transportation? Again, if you make $100,000 a year, 14%. $1,166.66 or $291.68 a week. Where is your giving? Is your giving at car level? You know, I'd love a new truck. But I'm going to share with you a very embarrassing and shameful story. In 1996, I bought a brand new F-150. Five years later, I was two payments away from paying it off, and I thought, I need to go get a new one. So I go back to town East Ford, and man, the prices of trucks went up in five years. And I'm walking around that lot doing the math, and I realize my payment would be going up significantly. And then I started thinking, as I'm walking around the lot, well, maybe if I cut back on this, and I could cut out this. And then I thought, you know, if I just gave a little less on Sunday, 
then I could make this payment and buy this truck. And just a few minutes later, I realized what I just thought. I was about to rob God for a pickup. I left that parking lot without a new truck that day. I share that with you, ashamed that I would even think it. But I share it knowing many of you have had similar thoughts, and some may have acted on that temptation. And brother, make no doubt about it, it is a temptation of sin that puts us in those situations. Brother, and unfortunately, many of us spend more on eating out each week than we put in the plate on Sunday morning. Many of us spend more on hobbies, luxuries, than we put in the plate on Sunday morning. Tim mentioned we got a number of people uh, that have been going on vacation. My, my wife and, and kids and I went to New York. Some of us will spend more on a vacation than, than, we'll, than we'll give to the church all year long. What does your checkbook say about you? When the plate is passed, are you excited to drop your contribution in or are you embarrassed? I was watching something the other day, and it was obviously, it was in a uh, third world country. And they were excited. They were at church. They were excited. They were going crazy, jumping up and down, waving their arms, screaming and hollering. I immediately thought, man, must have been a good preacher. Somebody just got saved. Wasn't it. They were given to the church. They were taking their offerings forward. And I know it was probably very little. But they were praising and thanking an almighty God for that opportunity to give. Is that us? Maybe they better understand 2 Corinthians 9 and 6. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he that soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Maybe they do remember the words of Lord Jesus, how he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive, Acts 20 and 35. That word cheerful there in Corinthians, that word means merry or hilarious. Your giving should be something you look forward to. It should be something you are excited and merry about. And, brother, and I believe that is the first step in becoming a cheerful giver. Is we have to get our heart right. We have to have the right attitude. We have to understand these things that we are so proud of are just things. The money we hold so dear, we are simply stewards of. Brother, do you understand that you are blessed through your giving? If you sow bountifully, you will reap bountifully. Proverbs 3 and 9 Honor the Lord with thy substance and with thy first fruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. Luke 6 and 38, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. Now please, do not misunderstand me. I do not believe this is just talking about receiving financial gain. First of all, if that is your motivation, then your motivation is wrong and your heart is wrong. You don't give with the expectation of getting more money. But when you give, you should absolutely expect to be blessed by God in some way. Now, that blessing can come in many forms, but you know the blessing that I guarantee you will receive. I promise you, you will receive this blessing. You will have the blessing of feeling love. You loving God and Him loving you. When you finally decide to stop giving God the leftovers and quit robbing him, 
you will feel a love and a peace like no other. Not because, and please understand, not because he needs your money. Not because his church needs this money. That is not what giving is all about. Giving is about an offering to God, a sacrifice on your part. And I understand we sacrifice a lot more than money. We sacrifice our time, for example. Sacrifices such as giving is about obedience to your Heavenly Father. It is about your faith. But somewhere along the way, I guess because it's taboo or whatever it is, we've taken that part out of our Christian life. We look at ourselves and apply all of God's word that we can to our lives, except this one. We strive to be a better Christian today than we were yesterday. We have New Year's resolutions where we promise we will pray at least three times a day. We promise ourselves that, uh, and to God that we'll spend a minimum of, of 30 minutes in his word every day. We tell ourselves we will prepare at least one sermon a month. We try and, and learn one new song a month. This year, my goal is to visit the older members of the congregation. This year, my goal is not to miss a single day of church. That is what I'm determined to do. I will be a better Christian this year than I was last year. And all these things are great and absolutely priceless to your growth as a Christian. But then we realize we've been given the same amount every Sunday morning for the last 10 years, although we've gotten eight raises. Where's God's raise? How often do we reevaluate that? Is it every 10 years? How do you figure out how much to give each Sunday? When you get a bonus, does your offering go up? I told you earlier that there were seven units that gave approximately 43% of our contribution each week. I spoke to most of them over the past week, hoping to get a little insight on how they chose the amount that they give. And here's just a few things that I found out in every single case. Giving units on salary, those that knew how much they would make each week, reevaluated their giving every year, once a year. Of those, the percentage they gave was also applied to their bonuses they received at the end of the year. One unit gave twice their normal percentage concerning their bonuses or owner draws. Those that own their own business or their salaries fluctuate due to overtime would evaluate more frequently. In every single case, every single one of them, determine their amount of giving from the gross number and not the net. In other words, when you purpose in your heart, you think of God first. He gets the first fruits. He does not get the leftovers. If he got the leftovers, is that sacrificial? It's not. By the way, the amount they give on Sunday morning was not affected by any other outside giving or offering. For example... We have one giving unit that gives on the first day of the week, every single week, and when a situation arises, has asked the elders to contact this particular unit so he can assist further. In addition to, every one of them start at 10%, most gave more, one was 50%. Sean, okay, that's it, I'm done. I'm not gonna sit here and listen to you talk about tithing. Brethren, first of all, I understand tithing was in the Old Testament law, I get that. But we actually see examples of tithing before the law was in place. Abraham gave 10% of his spoils before the law. And besides that, tithing does mean a tenth, but that's actually a little deceiving. Under Old Testament law, tithing, according to the scholars, was actually closer to 20 to 30%, if you want to get technical. 
So under the law, it was 10% out of command. They were commanded this is what you would do. You will do this. Again, Paul states, But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. I believe Paul was probably thinking, because they are no longer told, commanded, forced, taxed, basically, and they are doing this out of love, not grudgingly or of necessity. He probably thought there would be more. I don't believe Paul would have thought God's people would give him the leftovers. 1 Corinthians 16 and 1. Now concerning the collection for the saints as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in stores. God hath prospered him, that there be no uh, gatherings when I come. We are to give on the first day of the week, as we purpose in our heart, not grudgingly or necessity. We get that right. But how do we figure out how much? Again, back to our chart. I would start there. If I was looking at my situation and my giving, that is where I would start. I would figure out my budget, figure what percentage I'm spending on everything. I would then take a look at where my contribution falls and be honest with yourself. You see, that's the key. Are you purposing in your heart? In other words, is your contribution an afterthought or do you sit down and budget your giving? I'll give you a hint. If you reach in the purse or the pocket and throw whatever you have, that is not purposing in your heart. This should be well thought out. This should be planned. Your obedience to God is worth planning for. It is worth your time. It is worth your effort. Once we see where our percentage is, then look, and I promise you, if you've never done this, you will probably be ashamed of yourself if you're lacking in the area of giving. Christian life. If you find yourself in that 2 to 3% range, understand and be honest, you're placing a lot of things ahead of your giving. Just remember, entertainment and restaurants is 9% in most households. 9%. So when I mentioned earlier that I spoke to these other seven giving units and how they chose their amount of giving, we also talked of percentages, obviously. And I don't think it's a coincidence that they're all over 9%. At some point, they looked at their budget and said, giving is more important than going to the movies. Giving is more important than eating out twice a week. How many of you have helped somebody move here? How many have been a, a part of the La Prada Drive Church of Christ moving crew? How many of you worked here on a work day, cooked food for this family on Sunday afternoon? You know what that was? That was sacrifice for you. You sacrificed your time and your resources. And guess what? It always feels good. feels good when you're able to do those things. Giving monetarily works the same way. If you were to cut out something so you could give more, you would feel it. We are called to be a sacrificial people. God teaches us through sacrifice. So again, determine where you are currently ranking your giving and where you would like to be or where you feel you should be. More importantly, where you believe your God would want you to be. We have members that their giving is the number one thing, and that is a blessing. But you know what you'll find out? They did not start there. They worked to get there. They were deliberate about it. What if every one of us took that approach? What if that was everyone's goal? 
Some of you may be thinking, man, I can't believe he's talking numbers up there. And I'm going to tell you why. It's because of my son. Ethan and Bailey started new careers, newly married. My son comes to me and said, Dad, I need you to teach me how to give properly. How do you figure that out? And I realized I'm like the article I read earlier. I never talked about how much I made with the kids when they were growing up. They obviously figured it out later, and, and we talk freely about it now because of different things we've got going on. But I realized I never truly taught them. I mean the nuts and bolts of giving. We taught Bible, but we failed to teach proper application. So here it goes. We're going to use the same salary. And again, this is the way we do it, not to say it's the only way. But again, you have made the decision you want to give more. You're sitting here this morning knowing you're failing or lacking in this area of your life, and you want to correct that. So here goes. Let's say I make $100,000 a year, and you're giving 5%. That's roughly $100 a week, half of what you spend on entertainment and eating. Remember, I am not the smartest guy in the world. Lori had to dumb this down for me. Add $25 next week run it for a month. The question will be, did I feel it? Did I have to budget for that additional $25? In other words, was I able to give that $25 without even thinking about it? No harm, no foul? Then there's no purposing. Does that make sense? If it took no budgeting and effort to do that, add another $25. And brethren, repeat the process. It is that simple. Well, Sean, I've been struggling. I only, I only give $25. As it is. Okay, go in increments of five dollars. A dollar. Just do something. Again, this is not about your money. But here's where people usually struggle with the process. They go from a hundred dollars to $125 and they feel good. They do $150 and they are good. Still not having to budget. They throw in $175. All good. Oh, wait a second. We can't do 200 <laughs> That's double what I was doing. That's more than I spent on such and such every month. The same can occur for those that are giving 40 and 50% of their income. They've been giving 50% of their income for 20 years, and all of a sudden they come into a lot of money, a big bonus, an inheritance, whatever the case is, and all of a sudden that normal giving is too high. <laughs> They'd have to write too big a check for that. Adding monthly in increments is in itself an evaluation phase. After you reach a point where you're having to plan for this amount, after you believe your God is loving your cheerful giving, and you can stand before him with no shame, continue to reevaluate. I'll give you another example. I've recently talked to a couple of giving units that for whatever reason had a loss of income over the last year, either too much going out, not enough coming in. There's, there's a loss of money due to different situations. But during that time, they were still able to give the same amount even with that loss and, and didn't notice it. They then reevaluated and discovered they could give more. These given units normally reevaluated once a year but felt a need, reevaluated their finances, and were surprised with what they found and are giving more, even in their situation. I pray I'm stressing the importance of having to budget and plan for your contribution. This should not be something you just drop in and don't feel. It should be sacrificial in nature. There may be someone here this morning that due to bad decisions, 
possibly sinful decisions, has found themselves in a place that, you know, they know they should be giving or giving more, but we just can't do it. I would suggest first and foremost you pray about that and you study further about it. And if you need help in study or in figuring out your budget because your heart is telling you something is not right, I'm robbing God, reach out to the leadership. I pray, I pray that you know me and Tim and Dale. We pray for each and every one of you daily. And we love each and every one of you. Let's always remember the poor widow woman in Luke. The rich man casting the riches in the treasury and the poor widow puts in two mites. And he said of a truth I say unto you that this poor widow hath cast in more than they all. That is God's desire. God don't need your cash. If God needed your extra $25, he would not be God. God does not desire riches. God desires you. He desires your love. And he desires your obedience. Brethren, sin is sin. And failing God in this area is sin. The question this morning is, what are you going to do about it? I was talking to a brother last week about this topic. I'm going to use his line. I was talking about how I pray that I can, I can stress the importance of being deliberate about this and taking it serious and what it truly means to purpose in your heart. But looked at me and said, Sean, the problem is sometimes, sometimes your heart lies to you. Brother, be honest with yourself. Be honest with your spouse. And most importantly, be honest with God. Because you know, deep down inside, you know, where is your heart? Again, sin is sin. We pray to our God for forgiveness and we repent of those sins. If you're here this morning and need the prayers of the church, or perhaps you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you wish to be baptized this morning, we'd ask you to please come forward as we stand and sing.